0: This episode of this podcast is making me thirsty is brought to you by strength training shoes. They're plyometric. Welcome to this podcast is making me thirsty, the number one destination for Seinfeld fans. This episode 32 in this episode, we talked to Anthony Stark. He played Jimmy in the Jimmy episode, season six. We had a great time talking to him, got a lot of insight on what it was like to be a guest star on the show. Uh, We had a blast. So thanks for listening. As always, pass it on and uh, enjoy episode 32, Anthony Stark. This podcast is making me thirsty. All right, joining us today, we have a—he's had a thirty-plus year career, over forty-plus movies and TV shows, including some of the biggest shows in history with some of the biggest stars, including Hand of God, George Carlin Show, Cheers, ER, Magnificent Seven, House, Mad Men, and of course, the iconic title role in the season six, Seinfeld episode, The Jimmy. Here he is, Anthony Stark. All right, Thank all you right, you, you left us.
1: out silver spoons, but I'm going to overlook it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. You know, you usually you know, people don't usually just gloss past a Ricky Schroeder reference, but I'm gonna let I, it slide.
2: I, I was gonna yeah. say, do you still talk to Ricky? Uh,
1: you know, occasionally, you know, if, uh, you know, but I it's nothing I can convey on this podcast, it's pretty, uh, <laughs> pretty, 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 uh, top secret stuff, but oh. uh, yeah.
2: The one thing you have over him, Tony, is you were on Seinfeld. He was not. So
1: that's correct.
2: Yeah. T- t- let's let's take a, a, a go in the time machine. So the Jimmy, um, lo- it, it aired March 16th, 1995. So just take us back kind of uh, how the whole thing came about, the audition process. Um, did you reach out to them? Did they reach out to you? Tell us a little bit about how, how the, the character came about.
1: Well, it's, uh, it's uh, uh, interesting the, the way that particularly one went and, and to go back to what you said right before we went on the air, I had already been in the business for about 10 years. I could come out to LA in 1985. Um, and um, I had been working on a lot of sitcoms but you know Seinfeld at this point was already a phenomenon. And um, I had just finished working with uh, another legendary comedian um, on the George Carlin show. Mm. And um, we had just gotten canceled and it was very sad. So I was happy to get a chance to go in and audition for these guys. Uh, their casting director, Mark Hirschfeld, who I knew previously um, and who later, I think uh, I think it was later that he became head of casting for all of NBC. He was casting the show. And um, when he was partners with uh, Meg Lieberman, I think. And um, so he had me in and, um, They move pretty quick. I came in and I could tell when I got in the room and and it was really cool because uh, Larry David and Jerry Seinfeld were in the room. Just back in the day, we could actually like have the producers and writers in the room with you. Everything's kind of done even before uh, COVID. You know, you you go into a casting office a lot now and it's just like the casting director and maybe her assistant, um, you know, recording you and then putting you on tape and then they send the tapes over to the mm-hmm. producers, but uh, in auditions, particularly with comedy, it's great to have, you know, the writer's director producer in the room, because you can kind of vibe off of them, maybe have a little bit of a dialogue, get, get some real time feedback, do it again, show them that you can incorporate a note and all this kind of stuff, mm-hmm. and, uh, but they were in the room, which is always helpful, and, you know, I just remember doing the thing, and I remember sort of sort of uh, miming, you know, uh, b- uh, bouncing a basketball, you know, and like doing, you know, the the trick stuff, you know, bouncing it between my legs and all this kind of stuff as I'm talking, because I just had this very clear image of this, like, you know, um, just phenomenally uh, hubristic, egotistical douche, you know, and, <laughs> and, 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 and how he would behave and what he would act like, because it's just like, he's sort of like... Uh, a a frat boy who never left the frat house you know it's just sort of that kind of guy kind of puffed up and um i could tell right away that they liked what i was doing there was a couple guys to read after me and as i was leaving the room to go back into the waiting room mark kind of said you know uh, don't leave yet kind of thing all right i'm like okay so i sat there they had a couple other guys go in and then he comes out and said okay now you're going downstairs to the stage. Cause they're going to have, um, a table read of the script in about 15 minutes. Cause you start rehearsing today. Wow. Wow. Is that, so I'm happened, assuming
0: that's uncommon, right? That's not something that, that is, often.
1: that's the only time that's ever happened to me. Wow. The only time. And, um, and I was like, great, <laughs> you know, I'll clear my unemployed actor <laughs> schedule and I'll be right down, you know? And, uh, so it went down and we had a big table read and everyone was there of course and you know it was directed by Andy Ackerman who was great and you know so that was that was how the week started.
0: Wow that's 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 a crazy story man. Th- th- we know it's interesting you touched on about how you were how you thought of the character because there's this there's this dark side to to the Jimmy character that I love. There's two particular lines you deliver. The one where you say, you know, Jimmy's a little set back, moving to Manhattan, set him back a little bit. Like you could, you could tell you're not at. There's something there. You, it's building, and then yeah. later on, when Elaine and misunderstandings, you're really about to lose. Or you're, misunderstandings and Jimmy, don't go. The way you yeah. deliver those, there's this like darkness to the character right. that, like you know, Seinfeld, a lot of. There's a lot of darkness in their early episodes, but by right. season you no, know, and you really, I don't know if that was conscious on your end or if it was like notes or you really
1: Oh. Yeah, no, I there. just it was part of the choice. I kind of thought that the guy was a little psychotic. You know, because <laughs> yes, yes. he was so self-involved. And uh, you know, um, and you you kind of it, I was immediately suspicious, like what what um inspired this knucklehead to even move to Manhattan? <laughs> you know, it, it would strike me that New York is a bit much for this guy, you know, because he's he's not nearly as smart as he thinks he is. And I wonder if he, you know, and he's like um, he's making his money by selling these plyometric <laughs> shoes and demonstrating with his vertical leap, you know, like that brought you to New York, you know, and uh, you know, you, you, you couldn't you couldn't do that at a at a at a mall in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, you know. So but anyway, so yeah, I I, I and I um, tend to find dark characters funny, you know, and characters that are kind of oddly menacing to be funny too. So um, that obviously fits with Larry David and he really ran that show. Um, He obviously has a kind of darker sense of humor as well. He finds himself funny. So it just kind of worked out.
2: So Tony, back to the audition, right? Like how much were you like, how much of the script did they give you? How much did you kind of grow the character within there? Like, what you know, what lines did you read during during the actual uh, audition that made them like just get blown away?
1: Well, you know, um, I think the 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 scene that that they auditioned with was the first scene where you where you meet him. You know, Uh where he's talking about like, um, um, you know, before these shoes, you know, Jimmy was like you. (laughs) <laughs> you know, and, and not even being aware how, how insulting that is, you know, so that was the scene, you know, and, but that kind of gave me a sense of how this guy is and a lot of writer uh, producers in half hour TV are very precious about their jokes and their mm-hmm. words, and they don't like you improvising at all. And what I had found was, you know, because I do like to improvise and I, you know, I do kind of write in my head a little bit. You know, because I've done a lot of comedy, improv, stand up, all this kind of thing. And and what I found was that if I kind of like pitched something out during rehearsal, that then they could kind of give me quick feedback and say, oh, yeah, yeah, do that in the run through. OK, yeah. so this was a carefully crafted, scripted show. I'm trying to remember which writer wrote. It. I think Kevin it was and Robin, was...
0: Kevin and Robin wrote it. The team. Of, oh, OK, uh, Kevin and okay. Robin.
1: Okay. And um, so these were very carefully crafted shows because they would have five storylines going on at the same time and get them to weave in and out and then intersect toward like the final segment of the show. And then they would just go boom, 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 like, and, and just go off like depth charges. I mean, so it's very carefully constructed. That's, that's part of why it's great. So it's very much a scripted show, but Larry David was the kind of guy. He was always looking to kind of um, um, brush it up, pump it up, you know, get another laugh in a scene if he could, and he didn't care where it came from. And when I realized that, I would start kind of throwing lines out, and and he would actually, toward the end of of the rehearsal week, he he, I remember he came up to me and said, you know, we need a line here, okay, and and we kind of talk back and forth, and I threw a line at him, threw one at me, and we threw it back and forth, and that's how um, Vil- Jimmy Loves the Velvet Fog was born, you know, <laughs> and then there were other things that I just improvised, like Jimmy's going into shock, and stuff like that, so they kind of <laughs> let me throw in my stuff, and if they liked it, they
2: kept it.
0: Awesome, you touched on the fact that how they inter- intertwine all the stories on Seinfeld. that's one of their things that, you know, they're obviously known for, all four characters sort of try trying- and uh, we we're, we're thinking about it. You might not be the only one, but it, I can't think of too many other characters who were in one episode of Seinfeld, but interacted with all of the four main characters. Usually right. the one-offs would be with one of the, each of them, a girlfriend, a boyfriend, something like that.
1: We're, right, right. We're actually I, I was in up the- in grill. Yeah. <laughs> all four of them.
0: And yeah. uh, we're curious if you can kind of talk to what it was each four of them, you know, Jerry, Julia, uh, Jason, and, and Michael Richards, oh. what it was like each maybe- you know something
1: yeah yeah you know um my um my main thing about Jerry that I remember was just that I was a huge fan and at one mm-hmm. point I like I said I remember the first time I saw you on the Letterman show and you did this bit and I like did the whole bit like I remember from memory like he did he used to have this bit on the world's fattest man which mm-hmm. I, I thought was so hilarious that I, it, I it, it somehow stayed in my mind and he got this big grin on his face that I still remembered it because this was maybe 15 years later um, and uh, what I remember of Michael is that he was very kind to me and very kind of uh, solicitous you know uh, concerned about the, the physical stunts that mm. I was doing because I do this one pratfall where I where I slip and fall in his drool so you did that yourself that wasn't I any... did that I did that oh, well. myself that was a fall they were kind of shocked when I first did it because it was a pratfall that I learned from a friend of mine who was a stand-up comic, but he was a trained circus clown. So he taught me how to do a pratfall where you kick one leg up uh, and then you kick the other leg up and then the first leg comes down and kind of hits the ground, like the flat of your foot hits the ground right before your butt hits it to break your fall. But it looks like you land on your back. And when I did it uh, during the live taping, the audience was like, oh, you know, they thought that I really hurt myself. So, you know, um, I think they were a bit relieved that I didn't. And when Michael, because he's obviously a genius level physical comedian, when he saw me doing that, he was like, okay, can we get this guy a tailbone pad? Can we get this guy, you know, elbow pads and stuff like that? Cause he came up to me and he said, look, I'm just looking out, looking out for you, man. I wish somebody had been looking out for me when, oh. you know, when I first started doing stuff like this. So I, I, I remember that about him. He was very thoughtful that way. And what I remember um, about uh, Julia is that she uh, just, ha- her kids were very little, you know, the, the little kids that she had with, with Brad Hall, these beautiful little blonde kids. And, or maybe it was just one little boy that she had at that point. Um, and that she was just very sweet because she wanted to have her little boy on the set and she was just being a mom, um, and was, uh, just kind of very sweet like that. And Jason, I had met before, um, because, um, years before I'd done this, uh, wacky movie with George Clooney called, uh, Return of the Killer Tomatoes. Yes. Called classic. And, and I was hanging out with George and we were driving around he goes, Hey, I want, want to go over, um. Um, to the uh, the Oakwood Apartments, which is this this, this this apartment complex right sort of above Warner Brothers Studios where a lot of actors in the day, maybe still, would stay during pilot season because you could rent sort of month by month, maybe even weekly, I don't know. And um, we we're going to go visit my friend and he, he, we went to visit Jason Alexander. This was years earlier. That was the first time I, I met him. You know, so I, I, I was kind of familiar with him and I kind of just... Talked and hung out with him a lot during the set because um, I remember we talked a lot about martial arts because he was um, starting, you know, he, he came from a dance background and he was starting to get into martial arts. I'd been doing martial arts since I was 12 and he was studying, I remember he was studying Jeet Kune Do, which is the whole system that was inspired by Bruce Lee and the things that, you know, that he liked about it and he found interesting. So we, we just, uh, I just remember he was somebody I, I talked to a lot and was, uh, but they were all very nice. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean that was a that was a star studded episode, right? I mean, Brian Cranston was there. Right. Uh, Mel Torme. There right. was a few, a few Playboy models on set, right? I mean, <laughs> c- can you tell us the, like interaction? Did you did you meet those guys? Like, was was the taping I, done? Well, you with know, everybody? I I
1: think I had like a brief encounter, maybe said hello with Mel Torme. Um, he, you know, he was an older guy already at that point, so they kind of brought him in and brought him out. You know what I mean? He wasn't there all mm-hmm. week rehearsing. Um, one of my favorite memories of doing that show, um, and particularly I was, I was happy that, you know, um, I read Brian Cranston's fantastic memoir, uh, I think it's called A Life in Parts, um, but it's a fantastic memoir. And, um, and, uh, he, he talked a lot about working on Seinfeld and, you know, what a, what a fun experience it was. I remember meeting him. I was very struck by him because... You know, he was just a kind of knock around actor like, like I was, right? And, but he was older, you know? I was maybe 32, something like that. And he was like around 40, you know? And, um, and I remember meeting the guy and he's such a, like a charming human being, right? Mm. And good looking and really good actor and funny. And I remember kind of looking at him going, God, yeah, what a business. I wonder why this guy never made it. <laughs> I, I thought he's 40 years old to jig his up, you know, nothing's going to happen here, you know, like, nice guy, you know. And, um, but I remember having that thought like, what a fucked up business if this guy can't become a star. And, and, uh, um, of course, you know, um, you know, a few, a few years later, you know, um, Malcolm in the middle kind of gave him a higher profile. Um, but uh, it was really about 10 years later, maybe 12 years later, that he kind of broke through as Walter White on Breaking Bad. And the interesting story about that is it wasn't because of Malcolm in the Middle or anything else. It was because Vince Gilligan, who created Breaking Bad, had written this one episode of The X-Files where Brian Cranston uh, did a guest spot. And he did this kind of turn, apparently, in the guest spot where he went from, from good guy to bad guy in the same episode. And he thought he, when he, years later, he was writing Walter White, he was thinking, I need Brian Cranston because I need a guy who can make that turn. And the audience goes with him, you know? So I just, I, I always found that a very interesting story.
0: Wow. <laughs> yeah. It shows you just that one, one break. You never know when it's going to come. That's uh, right. Yeah. Right. Um, wow. You know, you know, going back to the kind of, not the audition so much, but you know, the, the, the show is called the Jimmy. Right. I mean, right. you were a guest star, but the show revolved on your character. I mean, yeah, it was
1: really fun that way. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Did you know that even back, like, was the, was the title of the script known? Did you know how big the role was when you did the audition or was it not until sort of you got into the rehearsal? Uh,
1: I, I, I kind of had a sense of it after the table reading about 15 minutes <laughs> later. That's kind of when I found out okay. because I was going to, I was going to, I was going to do an episode of Seinfeld. Even if it was one scene, I just really lucked out you know because you're right they're not not all the episodes are constructed like that that's what made the guy so memorable i think
2: yeah i mean it's it's the only show named after a guest star i mean you got it right? yeah yeah, oh, yeah you know you what, what, it, what, what, you, what about the, super the maestro
0: face? the super, but, but they're not
2: the Jimmy, it's your name, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's right, those right, are right.
0: Nicknames. That's where right, we're going right. off. You want any technical stuff,
2: Tony? To to be fair, we're we're not big fans of those later years. Like yeah. season six is kind of where it ends for us. But oh six, really?
0: Okay. Into seven a little bit, but by eight and nine, we kind of uh well, we don't want to get into it, but we're not as big yeah. of a fan of the show as gotcha. the earlier episodes. So it's
2: it's funny, you mentioned during the audition you were doing kind of like basketball moves and stuff. Is that kind of your Marquette background, a little little Al McGuire, like <laughs> uh, uh, you know, I, <laughs> I, I, I
1: never, I, know, I never got near the Marquette basketball team. I wasn't nearly good enough for that. I mean, I played when I was younger, um, and that came in handy. Um, but uh, no, I mean, my my real like in terms of physical background, I mean, I actually was on the basketball team like in seventh grade, and uh, I wasn't getting enough playing time for my liking because. Um, I was uh, really short and, uh, and uh, uh, um, I was, I was getting fascinated by this TV show that was on the air at the time called Kung Fu. Mm. And, you know, my dad said one Christmas, what do you want for, what do you want for a Christmas present? I said, Kung Fu lessons. And he was like, huh. So, you know, there was, you know, I'm from the rural Midwest and, you know, from a little town in Northern Illinois. And so there was nothing like Kung Fu around us, but he found a, Taekwondo school in Waukegan, Illinois, uh, taught by one Il Wong Kim. And um, and I started studying Taekwondo, and that was it. I got totally obsessed with that, and I was done with school sports after that.
2: Well, it's funny you mentioned you were short, you have know, the ability. Well, it sounded like that's how Jimmy was too. Were you the whole strength footwear, those shoes? Just I actually, my brother had a pair of those during that time. It was a real product.
0: Yeah,
2: I, I, yeah. I remember going to the track, running with him the whole thing. Like, right? Did, so like, is, he, is, he, that.
1: Is, is he is he is he on his meds
2: or is he off him? What? But it was a real product, and, and it's funny that product is still being sold today. If you if you go on Amazon, it's actually funny. The comments say Jimmy approves it. Like, you your, your is that right?
1: Yeah, is that it, right?
2: It well, it continues today. I'm just I'm curious, happy, like happy were you help. were you aware of the shoe like during the audition, or did they give you a free pair? Uh, uh,
1: you know, I mean, that was the first time I saw them. I'm not sure if I ever wore them. Did I wear them? I think George wears them, or did I wear did you them you wear too?
0: them the first scene you're wearing them in the first scene. Oh, that's when they oh, okay. see you with them on and they ask you about it, and that's when you go on talking about oh, that's right, that's them. right, yeah. that's right. I
1: do put them on in the scene. I, I didn't know if I was just holding them or if I wore them. um but <laughs> They're, they struck me as the craziest damn things ever, <laughs> and I can't imagine that you would do anything other than try to kill yourself by blowing out both Achilles tendons with them. You know, I mean, I, I couldn't imagine they would serve any other function. But if you think about it, yeah, if you're, if, you know, but it's, it's 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 as if you're walking on the balls of your feet all day long. You know, that yeah, was science strengthen. behind it, I yeah. think is supposed yeah. to
0: make sense to so a yeah. point about, you know, that they're still talking about on the Amazon reviews. I mean, even the the referring to yourself as a third person became a George sort of catchphrase in later right. episodes. If George is getting right. angry, he'd bring it up. Yeah. More. I mean, the, the whole show had legs from I mean, it's it's iconic yeah. and it's just incredible. I like how, you know, I guess, you know, we've heard we've heard other um other actors and actors that had like guest spots on Seinfeld sort of opened things up for them after just one episode of Seinfeld. I'm assuming this opened some things up for you right after, or, I mean, was there anything where you were like, wow, this guy, kind- I know, I know that you had that show um, where you're the star, you were the star of the show, the last frontier. That was yes, pretty much right after Seinfeld.
1: Right. And then, yeah, you know, what, what was, what's weird about that hmm. is I auditioned for the last frontier the day that the jimmy was airing so i I auditioned for them before it aired i think i remember saying to them hey i'm on seinfeld tonight wow Wow. or or something like that it really didn't have much to do with it um you know i I was just kind of on a roll with half hour stuff um shame about the last frontier i mean that was david zuckerman wrote that he went on to do king of the hill i think he was yes i know uh, know, kind of a co-creator on family guy he did did a lot of stuff i've seen him lately and you know he's pretty much semi retired because i i think he made some money and <laughs> um and uh but um but yeah that was a fun funny show and it was sort of like a little bit friends esque you know um sort of friends in alaska was sort of the, the the pitch and um we had some really great funny people on that show too but the two things really one didn't really have much to do with the other i think it was just uh i was in a kind of a pocket in the mid 90s where I uh, got a lot of work in, in, in sitcoms.
2: So 1995, big moment. You came on the show, but were you a fan? Like, were you a fan of Seinfeld prior to that? Like what are some of your favorite shows? Do you, can you recall any of those?
1: Yes. uh, I was a fan of the show and I've had, I've done a lot of like iconic TV shows, you know, whether it's 21 Jump Street or Beverly Hills, 90210 or CSI, CSI Miami, you know anything cheers, with a dead right? anything with a dead body in it but the two <laughs> ones that that i was a fan of that i got to do was cheers and seinfeld those were shows what of which i could say i was like a straight up fan of so that was a thrill and it's a surreal experience you know like i was a huge cheers fan right and cheers was was already on the air when i was still in college so like you're still like dreaming about maybe I'll be on a TV show one day and all this kind of stuff and then years later I think the second last season of Cheers I was there you know and there's Sam and there's Carla and there's you know Frazier and there's um you know um Norm and, and you know and all these guys and so that was um that was that was a thrill and Seinfeld was kind of like that too I mean uh that it was I think it's toward the end of, of Seinfeld. I mean, it was deep into their run. Season six, was it? The Season six, six? Yeah. You know, and they did how many altogether? Seven or eight?
2: Nine. Nine,
1: nine. okay. Um, so it was, it was pretty well into it. And um, I think there were maybe, it was like the number one show on the air or, or, or getting close to it. And um, so, yeah, I was a big fan of the show. And that's actually very helpful um, when you're auditioning for it. Because I had a sense of what these guys would find funny. And that's why I wasn't afraid to lean into the dark side of it because that was very, you know, Seinfeldian, you know, right. that you, that you had a neighbor who just might be a serial killer you know, or whatever, <laughs> you know? So, yeah. So yeah, I, I was a fan for sure. Could
0: you maybe compare the two sets of like cheers and Seinfeld to iconic shows that were, you know, what, what was the vibe on cheers compared to, you know, some amazing actors. Um, like Okay. You said, yeah. Yeah. That's, a, that's and, uh, a great, that's a great yeah.
1: point. Um, 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 I loved the cheer set because they were a little wild. Okay. Mm. You know, there were lines floating around, you know, that set, like, um, you know, one time, uh, like, you know, when they first brought the audience in, I'll remember, I remember, um, George went, you know, sitting at the bar, of course, you know, and, and i getting ready to go and everyone's going, where's Woody, where's Woody, where's Woody? Cause that would happen a lot. He would sort of disappear, you know? And, um, and 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 uh, out of the side of his mouth, George Wendt says he's getting a blowjob from an extra, and everyone <laughs> and everyone and everyone in the audience goes ooh, and and George goes, I'm sorry, atmosphere, you know, as, <laughs> as if that was the faux pas, you know. Um, so that was that was funny, and um, they were just a little bit wilder. They were, um, I think, what. I think I've heard that the reason Shelley Long wanted to leave was because they were a little bit like like high school kids, you know, and they didn't really want to rehearse much. It was like a cast full of Jackie Gleason's. It's like, ah, we'll get it on tape night, you know? So the, the days were really short. And then it's like, you just kind of, kind of bring it for the show because they all could do that. They didn't need a lot of rehearsals. So they didn't like to rehearse a lot. And it kept things a little bit electric when they shot it. And um, the other thing I remember about that show, was John Ratzenberger, first Cliff. of all, really nice guy, and BB uh, Newworth was also really nice. And um but John Ratzenberger was so impressive because a lot of those Cliff Claven speeches, where he would go off and give a little impromptu tutorial on some arcane subject, he improvised a lot of that. Oh wow! He came up with a, lot, you know, like I remember in the episode I did, he said, you know. Well, actually Nami the uh, bubonic plague was not caused by the rat as commonly thought it was caught by a creature known as the dreaded bubon you know and <laughs> and he just went off on this bs explanation of the bubonic plague and that was completely made up and like they would throw the writers would throw stuff at him and you do like three different versions of it you know so that impressed me a lot that 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 he that he he brought so much of that himself yeah um, I mean and, listen
2: with by comparison,
1: with, the Seinfeld yeah. set was a little more a little more buttoned down.
2: Really? You know? Is that because yeah, Larry Larry David, like he just had a little more control over things, or
1: no, it was the personalities of the cast, they were just kind of there to work, you know, and kind of get it done. And it was very chill. They were very relaxed, but it was it was not like uh it wasn't a frat house, you know, <laughs> like uh Cheers was a little bit.
2: Yeah, I wonder if that was like a Season six, they were kind of cruising along. Everyone was making a boatload of money. I, I don't know. Maybe there was well-oiled something- machine. Well, well,
1: I was yeah, but you know, I was in I think season nine or ten or something of Cheers, and they were right. still bonkers. They were still bonkers, which I I kind of liked, you know. But um, they were just it was more a little more more uh, you know um, a little more sedate. But they were everyone was very friendly and open, and it was they just it was kind of a well-oiled machine.
2: Yeah, two two iconic shows. And obviously without cheers, there would probably be no Seinfeld because that's kind of how they got their start. Um, Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, That big Thursday night lineup, I think.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So it's funny in the show, um, the Jimmy episode, there are, this is incredible, 65 mentions of Jimmy, whether it's you, Jerry, Elaine, I mean, it's, it's the most obviously used word out of any episode ever. Um, what was your favorite Jimmy line? And if you don't mind, if you don't mind, you can act it out for us. Uh,
1: uh, um, when he's really <laughs> slipping out at the end and they're carrying him off. <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> don't touch Jimmy. Hands off Jimmy. You know, that, that to me was like the final... You know, being escorted out on his way to the booby hatch was was my favorite, I think. Yeah. And
2: I gotta ask Tony, do people like just because that's an iconic character, do people come up down the street and like you know, kind of it's,
1: it's it's too long ago now. I mean, when I go back to my hometown, I'm from a little town in, in northern Illinois, and you know, there's still some people that like when I walk into the bar when I'm back home visiting my sister, will go, Jimmy, and i like, oh God. <laughs> guys, it's 25 years ago. I don't mean to be a dick, but come on, you know? um, But it's really not that common because it was a while ago now, Um, you know, I look a little different and all this kind of thing. And in terms of even the interaction I have with people on Twitter, you'd think it'd be mostly about Seinfeld. It's not, it's uh, mostly about the Magnificent Seven because the people who are fans of that show are big fans of that show mm. and my character was a series regular so I was in every episode and he was a very colorful southern riverboat gambler you know uh, con artist kind of character and and so it's a it's a lot about that and there's a lot of fans of the James Bond franchise who are focused on that because I was in one of those also so it depends on what people know me from.
2: Yeah, well, we hope to change that. I think, like, when Seinfeld comes on Netflix in a, in a couple months, I think there will be a new, like, uh, a bigger interest and more more eyes on it. So we'll see. We'll
1: see. You know, but, um, we'll see. What
0: are you up to nowadays? Where can people find you? Anything on their... Uh, I know things have probably were shut down a little bit recently. Uh, things, some on, things were but... shut
1: down. So, I mean... Um, 2020 was kind of a blank. I was just getting started um, with pilot season. I just, I remember I just had an audition for an ABC show called Call Your Mother, which just premiered last night. Uh, Carrie Leiser's new sitcom, uh, you know, premiered last night. And I was was watching that going, why didn't they cast me? And um, (laughs) because I I auditioned for that and um, to be like the kind of like the guy on that show and then everything, that was like the last thing I can remember. Then it all just kind of shut down. And then there was nothing going on for a long time. And then just in the last couple of months, I got a couple of auditions and I am right now working on a show, uh, doing a guest spot on that, but I can't talk about it yet.
2: All right. We'll look, we're looking forward to it, man. Yeah.
1: Look, look right. forward to it. Yeah.
2: Tony, did, did you ever, um, Hey, what do you think of the finale of Seinfeld? Did you ever think you would, did did they reach out for you to come back? Yes,
1: they did. I was, they had a pin in me, as they say in the business, which is like, you know, let us, keep us advised of any work coming up because we think we might want you in the finale. You know, so I was originally supposed to be in the finale and then apparently I got written out. So it it remained one and done until the end, which was sad for me because I thought the character had so much potential to recur and be sort of a thorn in everyone's side, this guy who maybe just kept popping up, you know, in unexpected and terrifying ways. I thought it could have been very funny, but I guess they, you know, thought, let's just leave him in that one episode. Yeah,
0: especially the way the finale was. I mean, you were definitely one of the wronged people by them. I mean, you exactly. Know, Kramer knocked you out. I mean, that was a huge, it ruined your whole livelihood. <laughs> I mean, exactly, this, exactly. You were, yeah, I mean, you know, so,
1: yeah. but, um apparently it was, uh, it probably was something for time. They could only squeeze in so many vignettes. And at that point you're talking about, you know, nine seasons of a show, right? Right. you know, and that was back in the day. I think they did like 22 episodes a season. Did they? Yes. By by the
0: end. Yeah. They were doing, you know,
1: that's a lot. That's a lot of characters you try to weave in and out. And so initially they thought of me, but it it didn't, um, it didn't, it didn't end up happening. And I was sad about that too. Um, do you but, you know
2: do you have any um I know I think you worked with um Jessica talk on The Last Frontier? She was on time yeah. actually. Any other like do you keep in touch? You ever see Larry or Jerry? Or I know you mentioned Jason uh, back in the day, you were kind of friends about karate and no, stuff. No,
1: you know, I mean I didn't become friends like that with any of them. Um I ran into Jason Alexander not long ago. Um uh, at the uh, at the memorial for, uh, for Gary Marshall, because we both had kind of gotten a start in movies with Gary Marshall. Me in Nothing in Common uh, with Tom Hanks and then him kind of in Pretty Woman was sort of like a, a jumping off kind of role for them. So we were both at the memorial and uh, cause I'd done my first movie with Gary and I did, I was in the last play that Gary Marshall directed, uh, um, a play called uh, Billy and Ray at what was then the Falcon Theater is now the Gary Marshall Theater, just not long before he passed away. Um, So yeah, that's that's the last time I kind of said hello to Jason Alexander and the other people I've not really seen since. Speaking of
0: nice. legends, I mean, you worked with a lot of, of legends. I mean, Carlin obviously is, is a big one that comes to mind and, and, and obviously Jerry and Larry have been talking about for a while, but there, you were in the, the movie um, repossessed right with Leslie Nielsen. Yes. I just had to ask you a little bit about that. I just want to know about if you, you know, if you could touch on anything about Leslie Nielsen, cause he's just one of my favorites of all time. I, I loved him. And- um,
1: I loved that guy. He, you know, he was very goofy but also very wise. He had this kind of, he'd been through a lot in his life, seen a lot, done a lot. And he'd become kind of this place in his life that was very Zen. And that's why he did not make mind making fun of himself or whatever. He had this, um, he had this mantra or this slogan that he lived by, which was never be older than 18. He felt like don't ever become so grown up that you, you know, start taking everything in yourself very seriously. He walked around with this thing he had in his hand. that was like a little accordion that made a farting sound (laughs) and he had it with him all the time. And the guy never broke. He was like the master of the stone face. And I'm, I'm, I I break pretty easily. And once he realized that it, it was game on, he would, try to break me up in the middle of scenes and stuff like that, because he could play it like a Stradivarius, get different tones and pitches and whatever out of it. Cause he would look you in the eye and say, well, father, I, I don't know if she's going to make it. And then you just hear, <laughs> you know, and he would just stare at you until you kind of fell out of frame, you know? And one time we were at the catering truck for lunch and everyone's in line. And there was this woman who was on set and very excited. She was obviously like a relative of maybe a crew member or something. And she was excited to be on a movie set. And there she was standing in line right behind Leslie Nielsen. And um, you know, you all of a sudden hear this "Ah!" and he turns around and he looks at this woman and says, I'm sorry, it must be the seedless grapes. I, I just can't seem to digest them. And he just looks at her and then she goes, Oh no, that's, that's fine. That that's okay. And then he goes, thank you. You're, you're very kind. And as he's turning back around, okay. I mean, and so everybody else is in on the joke. We're like falling down laughing and this poor woman thinks, Oh my God, I met Leslie Nielsen today and he's rather flatulent man, you know? So he was, (laughs) he was, uh, he was lovely. He was lots of fun. That's awesome. I, yeah. I mean, have been a huge fan of that guy for
0: That's I love that motto. The, uh, don't ever be older than 18.
1: Yep. <clears throat> Man. You know, I, I I've, I, I've had the blessing of a lot of great mentors like that in the business. He was great. Um, Gary Marshall was great, you know, learned a lot of stuff from him. And I learned a lot from Danny Thomas. Who, oh, interesting. uh, yeah, yeah. who I did my first series with, you know, a legendary comedian, television star, television producer you know, uh, Dick Van Dyke, the Andy Griffith show, the Mod Squad, he produced all these shows. I mean, talk about a guy who been there, done that. And he also founded St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. And I got to hear all about how how and why he did that. It's a long story, but very inspiring. And, um, you know, it kind of put it in my head very early on because I was like 23 when I was working with him. I thought, you know, that is really the high watermark of what you can do if you become a big deal, if you become famous or whatever, is doing something like that. Not winning an Oscar, not winning an Emmy or whatever, but doing something like that. And um, I think a lot of people have seen that going forward. I mean, I think, you know, if you look at people like, say, Bono or somebody like that, I think he'll be remembered as much for what he managed to get done on a charitable level as, you know, as, as the music, you know. Yeah, Although he although he himself has said, I'd rather be remembered for the songs. But, you know, hats off to people who managed to do both.
2: Yeah, I think you, I mean, you came up at a great time, like the mid-80s. I mean, things were exploding. You mentioned a ton of names. I, I'm just curious, like, did you have an agent? Like, did he tell you, what, just back to Seinfeld, of course, did he tell you what Mark Hirschfeld, right? He was the casting Hirschfeld,
1: director? yeah,
2: yeah. Hirschfeld, like, where, where, like, was it from Carlin? Like, where, what was it that, what he saw in you to become Jimmy? Like, cause like, like we said, the, the show was named after you for crying out loud. Like, so they needed Mark, a big. Mark,
1: Mark, just, Mark just knew me already as an actor and as a guy who was handy with comedy, you know, cause I just auditioned for him a lot, you know, for, through several pilot seasons and stuff like that, where I, you know, either mm. got the part or I got close to it or whatever you know, and I fit the general description probably, you know, and so he knew that I knew my way around a joke and that I'd come up with something and I wouldn't be wasting Larry David's time, you know, or Jerry Seinfeld's time. And so that's really the main reason he brought me in, not necessarily because of any particular credit. It's just because he he knew me and I was on his roster of a certain ki- type of guy who could do comedy.
2: Yeah. And I would just say that the chemistry you had with all four characters was was amazing. Like Jerry, obviously, was like always kind of mad at you. We got that yeah. set, right. But um, obviously with Elaine, Kramer, George, it was just to Tony's point. Right. like, we, we've never seen that with with one character before. So like, oh, that's, that's
1: great. That's great. Thank you.
2: That's a great standout. So like, listen, Tony, we we really appreciate the time.
0: Incredible. I hope I hope we lived up to your uh, expectations over there. I know. Uh, you well, know, you yeah, know you it's, for your it's, time. it's it's this been, been a, it's
1: been a it's been a crushing disappointment but, uh, it's almost happy hour. So I'll live. Um, but no, you guys have been great. And, uh, thanks for paying tribute to, uh, some really tremendous television. I appreciate
2: it. It's awesome. And Tony, if you don't mind, if you will, we'll cut it here, but if you could do just a quick PSA and say, you know, Jimmy really loves his podcast. We'd love that.
1: Um, uh, (laughs) Jimmy knows podcasts. Jimmy does podcasts. Um, Jimmy feels we've just set the high water mark. Jimmy's pleased. Jimmy's out.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Unbelievable. Thank you so much, Tony. Man, this was awesome. All Thank right, fellas, so uh,
1: have a great have a great night. Take care. You too, you man. Too. Thank Love you, Tony. All it. right, take care, buddy. Bye, bye.